2: Welcome to episode 129 of the highly relevant podcast, a Act show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Well, I'm not sure if you guys are fans of the show Mayans MC, but this week, actor Danny Pino joins the show to talk about his role as Miguel Galindo in the Sons of Anarchy spinoff. It's a hit show, which happens to be Latinx. There's not many of them out there. Then, I and Mike Sargent saw an advanced screening of Terminator Dark Fate, and we give you our first reaction of the film. But before Mike and I do our thing, my first guest is an actor you probably know from his many roles on hit TV shows like Cold Case on CBS, Law and Order SVU on NBC, and The Shield on FX. Now, he stars as Miguel Galindo in the Sons of Anarchy spinoff, Mayans MC on FX. Here's a
3: listen. The only fucking reason you're doing it is because I pay you a lot of money. Now, you and your club. Are responsible for the loss. That's the way it works. El presidente. Las reglas del negocio.
2: Danny Pino, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast.
3: Jack, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it.
2: Take me through how you ended up becoming a part of the universe of Mayans.
3: You know, that probably starts back with The Shield when I first met Kurt Sutter uh, and I played Armadillo Quintero. Uh, So, you know, we'd we'd, uh, developed a... uh, you know, a relationship of sorts, uh, you know, since then I'd check in on him after leaving the shield through mutual friends and I'd see him at, you know, certain events and whatnot. And then obviously paying attention to sons of anarchy, uh, and you know, what he was able to create from, from that. Were Uh, you a fan
2: of, uh, sons of anarchy with Charlie?
3: You know what? I, I wouldn't, there's so many strong fans of sons of anarchy that I don't know whether I'd be able to compete with some of, you know, the, the
2: fandom of those characters, right? The
3: more loyal, you know, there's such a a loyal fandom, but I was certainly aware of it and I appreciated what they were doing. Uh, and the level of storytelling that, that Shakespearean, that modern Shakespearean level of, you know, storytelling was something that I, I certainly appreciated and, I'm a fan of that world of that mythology of the outlaw mythology. Um, And so from, from there, when I, when I uh, became aware that Mayans was real and that Kurt was, uh, you know, was endeavoring to develop, you know, that, that mythology as well, that piqued my interest. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be, to become a part of that.
2: So you play Miguel Galindo, um, who he's an interesting character because he's not, there's a sense to him that he's almost a white collar badass. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I can't seem to quite describe him properly compared to the other characters who are very one dimensional in who they are and who they identify. But you seem to straddle the white collar world with the criminal world all at the same time. Describe your character a little bit more to me.
3: You know, I think you have your your finger right on the pulse of Miguel uh, Jack. You know, he's he's um, the duality that you're describing. You know, his academic uh, business acumen uh, is is challenged by his understanding and propensity for. Atrocities and for violence, his use of violence and fear and threat to run his business, you know, because of course he, he can't rely on on the law or contracts and things of that sort in order to, you know, uh follow through on commitments, business commitments with, with uh partners. So, you know, he uses uh his power as the head of a cartel uh in the, in much the same way that a CEO would use his, uh, legal department. Right. So, he, <laughs> wow. it, you know, he, he follows through in, in, with violence and with threats and with fear and with atrocities. Right. And so it, it is, it is in a sense, um, cold blooded, uh, and cold hearted. Uh, but he, he, but he, you know, he is not, um, a sociopath or a psychopath. He does have empathy. And that's where I find that, that Miguel is difficult to describe at times because we want to just lump him into, you know, that stereotype of a, um, the head of a cartel. Right. Uh, and that stereotype has been well earned. And, you know, I think that, that, uh, Kurt and Elgin James, you know, are our, our, our head writers and, you know, our writing staff want, they really want to work against that. And show Miguel as a transitional figure, somebody who's trying to legitimize his family much the same way that that uh, Michael Corleone uh, was trying to legitimize his family. Or, you know, even for that for that matter, the Kennedys, you know, Hmm. who started off as bootleggers and ended up in the White House.
2: You had mentioned a little while ago that you're attracted to that outlaw universe. Why?
3: You know, I think uh, it. I think if there's a relationship between the work I've done in the past and the work I'm doing now, uh, playing a detective, uh, somebody who is interested in understanding why people do what they do as a detective in order to solve crimes, Mm -hmm. motives, trying to understand human behavior. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's similar to the attraction to an outlaw, right? Why, why? Why does somebody choose to live a life that is so violent and difficult, uh, and and threatening? Um, so the psychology as an actor, not to glorify that, you know, those choices or that life or that violence, but to truly understand, you know, what somebody's motivation would be and what the ramifications of, you know that behavior is, I think is something that is just you know, innate, innately interesting to human beings, which is, you know, I think why procedural cop dramas are so popular, why stories about organized crime is so popular, because, you know, we have, I think, a, a very visceral attraction to understanding why somebody would, would make those extreme decisions for their lives.
2: How would you define Latinx, by the way? Do you identify as a Latinx? Do you identify as an American? Do you def- identify yourself as Cuban or guy from Miami? Like
3: Everything you just said.
2: <laughs> so you're at a party, you meet someone and it's like, hey, Danny, how are you? Hey, Dan, wh- wh- where are you from?
3: You, you know, it depends on who I'm talking to because if I'm talking to somebody who is not. Gotcha, so you code switching.
2: Is that what you're doing with people? Yeah,
3: you know, you kind of have to, right? In order to, you know, we're, we're not simple beings, right? We're very, it's a complex, just like the characters I'm playing. In, in the best case scenario, they're complicated, difficult, you know, uh, characters with a lot of duality and sometimes inconsistent. I mean, we're, we're no different. Right. Uh, human beings are no different. So if I'm speaking to somebody who doesn't know Miami, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just say I'm from Miami. Right. And then most of the time they'll assume I'm Cuban just because I'm from Miami.
2: Right? <laughs> That's so interesting. Uh, right.
3: They they happen to be right. But, you know, uh, it's it's you, if, if I'm talking to somebody from Miami, then I'll say I'm from Wachete. <laughs> right. Which is. <laughs> That's or, funny, <laughs> right? Because because that immediately puts you in a frame of mind of okay, now I, I kind of now know generally who that person is because they're from Waitea. Just like if you said I'm from Hialeah, people would be like, okay, <laughs> I kind of know who that person is, right? Not not to not to over because obviously not everybody from those areas you know are are the same, uh, but but I think we as human beings like to categorize or try and try and categorize people depending on, you know, where they're from, uh, you know, what their ethnicity is, what their cultural background is, uh, racial background, all of that.
2: How are you Um, dealing with, with everything that's going on with identity, cultural identity and identity politics to a certain extent in your business and in your personal life?
3: I think the way that I deal with, with it is just by creating, by, by staying active. You know, I, I, I try and I try to write. I I try to, uh, you know, to to take on projects that I find will be challenging and interesting and hopefully inspiring and encouraging other people to do the same. I think that, you know, there there are destructive forces out there who who try and, you know, label people um, in, in in, you know, to the least common denominator. Uh, in in a very egregious and stereotypical and negative fashion, and I think we all know who those people are, right? Uh, and and so I think those are destructive forces, and and I don't think uh, necessarily that fighting those destructive forces head on often brings the outcome that we want. Sometimes I feel like the only way to battle destruction is to be creative. Uh, and to create something new uh, and something interesting and complex and uh, challenging for people to have to, you know, uh, struggle with, you know, uh, such as Mayans, you know, uh, so that it, it it breeds conversation, right? Correct. It breeds a, a, di- a more nuanced understanding and uh, uh, hopefully. Um it, it it combats a lot of that uh, that speaking to the basis among us.
2: So what do you think of Latinx? Is that a term you embrace or is that a term that you're still sort of figuring it out?
3: You know, the way I feel about Latinx is if it includes more people, if it if it makes people who feel marginalized, if it makes them feel included, then why the hell not use it? Correct. You know, I mean, that's really the way I feel about it. Sometimes I'll say Latino. Sometimes I'll say Latina. Sometimes I'll say Latinx. But really, I think it's about how you want other people to feel, right? And right. so I generally want other people to feel heard and seen and accepted. And so I'll try and use all those terms, right, with, without without necessarily trying to exclude anyone.
2: Do you prefer to be ambiguous with your roles or are you proud of being a Latino actor and you want to be known as a Latino actor?
3: I've never tried to be anything other than what I am. Which is? Which is a Latino actor. I'm a you know, Latinx Latino actor. That's, that's who I am. I was ve- I'm very proudly Cuban-American. Uh, you know, I, I'm as much uh, pastelito de as I am <laughs> as I am apple pie. You know, I embrace You're a 200 percenter,
2: like my wife says. My wife says that we're 200 percenters. We're 100 percent Latino, 100 percent American.
3: That, that, I think that's that's true. I mean, I I can I can go, you know, in depth into Cuban politics and Cuban history as much as I can into American politics and American history. And I feel very present in both. I don't feel excluded from the Civil War. You know, I, I know very much, you know, uh, I've been to Gettysburg. You know, I, 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 my, my mother uh, was a history teacher for years. And oh, so wow. I, I know as much about World War II as I know about the Cuban Revolution. You know, so, I mean, it's it, 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 the, the thought that we need to stand on one hill and be monolithic, that we're either Latino, Latinx, Latina, we're either Cuban or we're American, you know, we have to stand on each one. I think I am firmly standing on my hyphen. You know, it's just
1: <laughs> right. It,
3: you know, I, 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 you know, I, I was raised as un pelotero. I played, you know, baseball. You know, uh, as as any, you know, I think as most Cubans in Miami played baseball. But I also loved American football,
0: right? Mm. I, and
3: I played football maybe almost you know, flag football and tap and, uh, and tag football and all of that more so than maybe even I played baseball when, when you really put the hours on the field together. Um, but in terms of the way I see myself in my career, I don't see myself as somebody that who doesn't present as, you know, being Latino. I, I, I mean, (laughs) it's, it's difficult for me, man, because I know that Latinos, Latinx don't look one way, correct? Right. We're we're not a race. We're 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 a race because you know bureaucrats felt it more you know convenient, uh, easier, maybe even more lazy to lump us all together, right? But mm-hmm. we don't we don't look one way, we don't behave one way, we don't believe one thing. Uh, we're we're as diverse politically as we are racially. As we are culturally, as we are historically, uh, as we are spiritually, I mean, there, there's just—it's time to have this nuanced conversation. Correct. And when you look at when you look at an actor, and you're surprised that they're Latino, maybe it says more about you than it does about the actor.
2: <laughs> Got it. Interesting. Interesting. See that the thing here, though, Danny, is that let's be let's be honest with with some of the. The the realities of Hollywood is is that Latinx actors really aren't working very much. And it's not just me. It's just the three, four studies that have come out in the last year uh, from UCLA that says Latin actors aren't working. Uh, And because there's no Latin writers and no Latin directors, no one's creating Latin actors, right? So... The rise of the Latino actor within film in, in particular, not so much television, because I think we, we see that progress happen more in TV, but um, Latinx actors, a lot of them are unemployed. Like Grand Hotel recently wasn't renewed. One Day at a Time has been struggling to get on. Mayans, for some reason, seems to have cracked that code, much like Queen of the South as well. And I'm starting to kind of, if you put the two together, it's cartel, it's violence. It's that glorification of that particular narco culture that America seems to like, like either African-Americans are watching it more along with Latinos and whites that love that sort of urban mythology. Um, but the the real problem is you seem to be gigging forever, dude, where so many Latinx actors are not. What do you attribute that to?
3: Again, a lot chew on in that question, man. Um, I will say that, uh, I, I'm incredibly grateful to, to be working and to be working, you know, not, not only, uh, for the mere fact of, of earning a living, but to, to be on a show that I feel is, is a game changer, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't lead, it doesn't lead with, this is a, a Latinx show. It leads with, this is an incredibly sophisticated, well-written, you know, a modern mythology, you know, parallel to Shakespeare and The Godfather and, you know, that kind of level of storytelling. And by the way, it is not insignificant that it is mostly a Latino cast, right? Yeah. So I, I feel incredibly grateful to be a part of that now, in order to really address why there aren't more uh, opportunities, I think you put your finger, you know, right on, on the pulse of it. You know, it ultimately comes down to decision makers in the industry, right? Who who are the people who are uh, green lighting projects, right? We know, and I know for a fact, because I've met them, we have incredibly Gifted, talented Latinx creators, writers, who are out there pounding the pavement, pitching stories, pitching ideas, right? And it's really up to the gatekeepers, the the people who greenlight projects, whether they're independent producers, whether they're networks, uh, studios, you know, those executives. Those are the people who are ultimately giving the nod to. Yes or no to any given idea. Now we can look to them and put all the blame on them, or we can also assume some of the blame on ourselves in Hmm, in terms of in well, I mean we're consumers too, right? So if we support when one day at a time is having a difficult time catching on, right? If if you know other shows who you know that are clearly Created and powered by Latinx talent. If we don't support those shows, then what conversation are we really having?
2: Well, let me ask you something bluntly: if the if it's a Latinx show and it's not that good, should we be forced to support it?
3: No, absolutely not. But that I think that encourages people to, you know, write better shows.
2: Right. That's true.
3: But, but at the, but at the same time, we should also try and give those uh, those shows a chance, right? Mm-hmm. Be there for be there for the premiere, right? Go go opening weekend to the to you know the Cineplex and support the film.
2: Don't just dismiss it. Correct.
3: You know, so I mean, uh, we, we, I think we pay a lot of lip service to the fact that that there aren't uh, you know more opportunities uh, out there. Um, and I, and I attribute a lot of that to the people who make the decisions as to whether to green light something or not. But I also think that we, you know, we have a voice as well and our voice comes out of our wallets, right? It Mm -hmm. comes out of what we, what we choose to watch the t-shirt you choose to purchase of a certain show, you know, supporting those shows that support, you know, Latinx,
2: Let me ask you, what I've noticed is that you haven't directed yet. Is that deliberate? Do you have plans on doing it?
3: Interesting. You should say that, Jack. Um, I'm currently developing a pilot script that is, uh, set in Miami, Florida, my hometown, you know, as, as, uh, the cliche goes, write what, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that is a project that, uh, you know, for far too long, I've been a part of these panels with Latinx actors and producers and writers and directors, where we talk about where we are in the industry, much the same way, Jack, as you're doing right now. And you're giving a platform for not only myself, but other people to come on your show and discuss it. It's a very nuanced and necessary conversation. Well, I've been a part of many panels in the past and I found myself saying, you know, we just need to create more content for ourselves and then the audience will show up. And I just got sick and tired of paying lip <laughs> service myself to that.
0: So and what I did said, you, you say? Know,
3: it's it, no, it's just time. It, you know, it's, it's, it's time to say less and do more. And so in order to do that, I just, I, I sat down and I started writing and conceiving of what, what show would I want to be a part of if you had to create the perfect show for yourself, you know, what would it be? And so I sat down and I, and I started writing it and, uh, you know, it's been through many versions and many drafts and now it's to a place where I'm starting to have conversations with those very people that we were talking about, people who can green light something, people who can, you know, uh, make it possible for, this story to, you know, to, uh, to find fertile ground.
2: So are you having an easy time, uh, as a creator getting your project greenlit or has it, even with your career, even with your name, even with your legacy, has it still been difficult for you to get it done?
3: You know, I'm, I, I fall into that, into that trap of being, a perfectionist of sorts right I I, lo- I I want to put my best foot forward before I go out and I start uh, seeking uh, a partner in in this project and so it's taken me several years in order to feel like it was ready to go out mm-hmm. and at this at this point I've come to terms with the fact that listen it's never going to be perfect you just <laughs> right. need you just you just need to put it out there. And and uh, develop a partnership with somebody who will help you develop further develop the idea, Uh, somebody who believes in the story, believes in the characters, believe that believes that there's a need to tell this story at this moment, Uh, and so I've just really uh, initiated that process. So uh, you know, reach back out to me in six months, and I'll 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 give you a you know a better. Answer to that question because it's just it's really just begun.
2: So but it is a Latin X story that you're telling?
3: Absolutely. I mean it's not only Latinx, it's it's Miami based. So Miami isn't only Latinx. I mean, there's True. so many influences, so many Caribbean influences in Miami, uh, among other things. And so it's really tapping into what I feel Miami uh has lacked in the canon of shows and movies. Uh, who've shot and told stories about South Florida. You know, um, when you think of, you know, incredibly popular and successful and well done series like Miami Vice, you know, it was so stylized, uh, but I feel that, uh, you know, it was stylized to the point where maybe it lost a lot of the nuance of what Miami truly is.
2: And then my final question, Danny, I wanted to ask you was social media. A lot of casting directors, a lot of people, a lot of studios want to know that you're carrying a heavy audience with you by the time that they hire you. Have you ever felt the pressure to increase your followers, whether it's naturally or buying them, to be able to appease an industry that is obsessed with something that I think is not really sustainable
3: you know i I have seen the publicity uh the efforts of publicity shift from a you know publicity department uh who is largely responsible or mainly responsible for the publicity of a show to it becoming more individualized uh, how many Twitter followers do you have? How many Instagram followers do you have, right? And, and so, and will you live tweet during a show? And, you know, all of those things have, has, they've come about uh, during the course of my career. I, that didn't exist when I first started acting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, it is uh, I think, much more present now and as you just mentioned, it is something that I think, you know, is is very real when it comes to producers. You know, all things being equal, if you're choosing between one actor or another, uh, the person who has more reach uh, in terms of followers is likely the one who will get the role.
2: That's crazy, right? I just, I just feel like that should not be. I just feel like you should be judged by your talent, your resume, the last job that you did, as opposed to, you know what? I'm so busy doing my career. I really don't have time for this social media thing. That's a full-time gig.
3: You know, it can be. It can be a full-time gig if, if you allow it to be. And, you know, I I find that oftentimes if that's what you're really focused on, you're generally not really focused on the project you're working on, mm. right? And, 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 and so it, it all comes it'll, it'll even out because the people who are focusing on their craft, uh, and focusing on the project that they're working on, uh, they generally don't have time to deal with social media as intently as somebody who, uh, is only focused on their followers, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I feel like it is, it is necessary to, uh, to engage. Right. And oftentimes it's fun to engage with fans of a show. Um, You know, sometimes I I feel like live tweeting works against all of your efforts because I really want them to engage with the material.
2: (laughs) You know what? You're probably right. If I'm watching the show and I'm like, listen, looking at your tweets, then I'm not really paying attention to the show.
3: I'm conflicted often about live tweeting, but I also enjoy, you know, letting the fans know that we appreciate them and it's about gratitude and it's about, you know, sharing the same space at the same time about the same subject matter. Right. And so I find, I find that finding a balance between, uh, you know, what I enjoy doing, which, you know, really has always been uh, creating a character and being on set with other actors and figuring out how to tell a story in a, in, in a very uh, realistic, sophisticated, uh, uh, thoughtful way uh, is is then supported by this social media. Uh, I think I think find striking a balance between using this tool, uh, which is social media, uh, to help generate. Uh, interest in what you truly love to do and what your passion is, uh, that's the real artistry is finding that balance.
2: You can catch Danny Pino playing Miguel Galindo in Mayans MC that right now is on Fox. Danny, thank you so much for the conversation.
3: Hey, Jack, thank you, man. Thank you for the thoughtful, important questions, man. And, uh, you know, thank you for the work you're doing, dude. We need you out there.
2: And before you hear our first reaction of Terminator Dark Fate, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Tutu Tutu, Remix. Camilo Shakira Pedro Capo. Mamá me dijo que contigo sí. Noah Sykes. Déjame quedarme. Am Yoni Fer Casillas.
0: Hay una máquina que me quiere matar. ¡Faster,
2: faster! You, Danny. You're my mission.
0: What is that? I don't know. My name is Sarah Connor. I hunt Terminators.
2: Hey, everyone. It's Jack Rico. I'm here joined with Mike Sargent. We are here at the AMC Lincoln Theater at the IMAX Theater. And you're listening to the uh, final music credits as Terminator, the Dark Fate, uh, has just concluded. And Mike... uh, I'm going to start it off by saying that this is probably the best Terminator movie since Judgment Day back in 1992, I believe it was.
1: Uh, Actually, uh, believe it or not, it was actually, was it 92? Maybe it was 92. Wow, it was 92. 92. Well, yes, it's definitely, this is the sequel we we wished had happened. Yeah. And I got to say, there are a lot of things about it I like, but Linda Hamilton,
0: Wow. She
1: is, I mean, she may have aged, but her, 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 star, powers, her star power, star her, her presence, she's like, she's, she's great. She's just you, you love her. You, like, you, you want to know what she's going to do next. <laughs> exactly. Also, the movie's about uh, saving
2: a Latina girl who will be the future of the world.
1: She'll the future, be the John Connor, yeah.
2: right? So the future of the world is Latinx. That's that's kind of what this movie told me, and it's right. going to be female Latinx. Well, um, you
1: know, I, I agree, and it's it's in many ways it's a bold statement to make this whole movie take place in Mexico and let the savior of humanity
2: be, be a Latina a woman. Latino. Oh, of course, wow. man. So obviously that social commentary was very uh, out center and front um but it's also probably one of the best action movies of the year as well. I mean Gemini Man I thought had, had some great action sequences but the story failed it. Yeah. here no, it, no I mean I mean here they 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 gave us the action that we wanted the CGI effects that we wanted but it also fleshed out the characters and brought back uh many other characters that that we wanted to see here so it fulfilled nostalgia. But it progressed the story, and that story was very Latinx, which for me as a Latinx film critic, man, it's everything, you know? Well, you know, it's
1: funny because I agree with you, and it's interesting because in many ways, this is probably one of the first big budget, you know, the the key characters in this are Latinx. and it's a big budget science fiction and it's not really been done yet but but I do have to say I agree with everything you said they expand the, the world the universe that Terminator you know, takes place in in ways that the other three sequels definitely didn't do because, you know, the one thing that always bothered me was and again this movie doesn't do it but the one thing that always bothered me about all of the Terminator sequels was okay we're three four five sequels in (laughs) and we still don't know why they want to kill all the humans right okay did they kill all the humans then what what did you like about the film What what didn't you like well, I'll tell you what I liked most. What I liked most was the fact that it, it stays in canon. They didn't, Correct. you know, it stays in canon. Like, the stuff we love still has meaning. You get to see Linda Hamilton, I thought was great. Uh, I really like the lead actress here. Natalia Reyes. Natalia Reyes. I thought the
2: villain, uh, I believe his name is Dan Garcia. I, I, I'll, I'll yeah, research we'll, that we'll once yeah. He
1: was great. He was perfect. He was perfect because he looks unassuming. He can blend in, but you definitely got that sense of nice guy and the sense of menace, and I thought that was very played well.
2: And as we're seeing the end credits, the amount of Latino names, yeah, the team, this, I mean, this the Spain, they spawned Spain, this wow. shot this in Spain, Mexico, Los Angeles, um, and I think that there was this beautiful sort of diversity going on between... Absolutely. Whites and Latinos where the Latino woman was really the star of the movie sure, the first
1: ten minutes was all subtitles the whole, in
2: Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact you got your Spanish. I mean, this is this the future of movies or action movies? Well, because for James Cameron to decide to kind of create a Latino theme around the the probably the 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 best Terminator film since Judgment so, Day hands down is is something a little astonishing to me. Why do you think that this happened? Well,
1: a couple of reasons. I think that, you know, first of all, I think that's the role of science fiction to really quote unquote predict the future, to really look at the way things are. Mm. Two, I think the reason you know we live in the times we are is because the power structure, the white male power structure is what's been in danger for years. They've been talking about the fact that Latinos will outnumber whites in America within, you know, it was within 40 20, years now. Within 40, now it's within 20, 40, 20, years. 50, right. Yeah, so, so it's been coming, it's yeah. been coming, but right. it, as opposed to saying, wow, look how we're diversifying, it's been a fear. So I think that this says, look, you know, it's coming you know right. it's coming and you know think what you want but these heroes Linda Hamilton Arnold Schwarzenegger that's yesterday they're the,
2: that's hero. yesterday's
1: that's heroes yesterday's heroes <laughs> <laughs> so that's what i think it's saying
2: i think if you're coming if you're debating whether you should terminate the dark fate because you've absolutely. seen the other ones and they sucked well this one suck right. absolutely not just watch 1 and 2 again and then see this right and uh, what i enjoyed was the entertainment value here I thought was pretty damn high. I thought that the characters and the nostalgic actors came through. Linda Hamilton was a revelation once again. We haven't seen her in over 30 years. Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this film uh, and he... He leaves his stamp, he leaves his presence felt in the movie, which I enjoyed very much. So you got your nostalgic elements, you got your futuristic elements. No. It's a it's a damn good sequel.
1: It's a very good sequel. As a matter of fact, the, what you said, the entertainment value, it's a satisfying sequel. Right. You know, we see these characters either set, and I don't want to give anything away, either sending off or going off into the sunset in the way they should, and not like... You know, I read recently how Linda Hamilton turned down Terminator 3, the original Terminator 3. Because they were going to kill her off halfway through the film, and her whole character had no arc. And this, every character in this had an arc. That's right.
2: So, uh, here from AMC Lincoln Center, as we listen to uh, the Terminator Dark Fate end credits, we'll bid adieu, Mike and I,
1: saying Goodbye. We'll be back,
2: though. (laughs) And that's it for episode 129 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Danny Pino and Mike Sargent for dropping by. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at jackrico and my Facebook page, JackRico40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022